0: Let us pray. God of us all take our ears and hear through them. Take our minds and think through them and take our hearts and set them on fire. For Christ's sake we pray, amen. Well, in the scriptures that we've uh, just heard, uh, Jesus takes the 12 aside, his 12 friends, his 12 disciples. And he says to them, see, we are going up to Jerusalem. And everything that is written about the son of man by the prophets will be accomplished. This gospel story that Luke is telling is coming to its climax. Jesus is headed toward his destiny. And before they can even get through Jericho, still 18 miles out from Jerusalem, Jesus is interrupted twice. He's interrupted by a blind beggar who will not be silenced. And he's interrupted by a despised tax collector to whose house Jesus unexpectedly invites himself. Jesus is on his way to his destiny, and he gets interrupted. Now, we've been living with interruptions for a year. In fact, this whole last year feels like one long interruption. And there's times it's hard to believe that it's already been a year. Um, I can vividly remember the first Sunday of worship when we decided that we could no longer meet in person. It It was March 15th. And I remember being here, and Kurt was about six feet. He was trying to keep his distance, holding up a, a camera. And then Henry Jansen was back at the, uh, back at the uh, PA console. On the one hand, it's, it's hard to believe it's already been a year. I have that vivid memory. On the other hand, it seems like this has been going on for about six years, doesn't it? Because so much has changed in our lives. So much has changed in our world. Uh, there have been so many interruptions. The way we do church was interrupted, school was interrupted, work's been interrupted, uh, holidays have been interrupted, plans to visit with family have been interrupted, vacations interrupted, uh, sports interrupted, right? Last year, there was no NCAA basketball tournament. Um, Weddings were interrupted. There's several couples in our church and in our extended church community who've been married 50 years and all of their big plans for 50th wedding anniversary celebrations were interrupted. Now, We can, with the vaccines coming online, we can start to see a break ahead, and um, I think we are all ready to get going again. We are ready to be on our way again to whatever our destiny is going to be, but these stories that we've heard today, these interruptions, um, have something to teach us first, and so in the first part of our reading this morning, uh, Jesus tells the 12 that they are going up to Jerusalem. They're going to the destiny. There he describes his destiny for them. And for the third time in Luke's gospel, he tells them what will happen. That in Jerusalem, he will be betrayed. He'll be arrested. He'll be mocked. He will be insulted. He'll be flogged. He will be killed. And on the third day, he will rise again. And we're told the disciples do not understand. I mean, how could, they? How could anyone, right? They've been Jesus for a while now. Jesus had been healing people, he'd been feeding great crowds of people, Uh, he'd been telling provocative stories, all of it good stuff. But it was still hard for them, and it's still hard for us to comprehend how how radical, how unsettling, how transformative this this kingdom of God is that he is always talking about. Um, It threatens everything and it promises everything. Now, the powers that be, right, the religious authorities, the political authorities, they're, they're the first to recognize the threat. They're the first to recognize what is at stake. And they have a strong enough sense of self-pre- self-preservation that they know enough to put a quick end to it. And that's what's going to happen to Jesus when he makes his way to Jerusalem. But even they can't comprehend how, how persistent and how unstoppable the love of God is. On the third day, the Son of Man will rise again. On the third day, the power of God's love will show itself to be stronger than fear, than deception, than state-sponsored violence, even than death itself. And that's still hard for us to comprehend. It's still hard for us to believe. It's still hard for us to to hope for. Jesus is going up to Jerusalem. And he's taking the disciples and he's taking us, us with him to the cross and to the promise of, of new life, and, and to the promise of a new way of living life together. And then he gets interrupted, he gets interrupted twice. And it turns out that both of these interruptions are his destiny. So as he approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the road begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus. He began to shout, have mercy on me, son of man. Apparently, this blind man had heard from from all the people who passed by him every day about Jesus. He'd heard about his compassion, about his concern, about his power to heal. And so this blind beggar is pretty insistent, son of man, have mercy on me. Well, for the disciples, I mean, they're on the way to Jerusalem, right? This is an unwelcome interruption. And so they try to shush him. But for the townspeople of Jericho, this is also an unwelcome interruption. They'd heard about Jesus He was developing quite a following. And so they had gone out to welcome him, to greet him, uh, to honor him. And no doubt in the tradition of Middle Eastern hospitality, they had also prepared a feast for him in Jericho. They too tell the beggar in no uncertain terms, be quiet. But Jesus stops. For him, this blind man along the road is not an interruption. You know, at the end of the reading, uh, Jesus says, the son of man came to seek, to seek out and to save the lost. Jesus came for people just like this blind man. He's not an interruption, this, this, is, this is Jesus's destiny. And so he asks the man, what do you want me to do for you? And that's a question that seems like it has a pretty obvious answer, the guy's blind, right? But, but remember, this story happened in a different time, in a different culture and it's helpful to understand that social uh, context. So Kenneth Bailey, who lived and taught for 40 years in the Middle East and wrote a very helpful book called Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes, which I've referenced a few times, a terrific book. I recommend it. We have a copy of it in in our church library. Kenneth Bailey points out that in traditional Middle Eastern uh, society, beggars are recognized part of the community and beggars offer a service because the pious are expected to give to the poor. And this blind man then makes it possible for them. Now, of course, no one would wish to be blind, uh, but without any other training, without any other education, this fella is making a living. So when Jesus asked, what do you want me to do? Uh, I could imagine one possible answer would have been for him to say, well, I'm collecting alms, you know the drill, give alms. Or he might have said, um, I know they got a feast ready for you in town. When you get there, Enjoy it and bring a plate of good food back to me. But when the man answers, let me see. He's asking for a whole new life. And isn't this exactly what Jesus came for? That we might have life and might have it abundantly. Jesus heals him and immediately we're told he regains his sight. In the the Gospels, Jesus is always ready to stop. In fact, it seems that Jesus goes out of his way to be interrupted. Jesus bearing the love, the forgiveness, uh, the peace, the power of God to heal. Jesus keeps asking, what do you want me to do? So what do you want Jesus to do for you? Maybe you need healing in your, in your body or your mind or your soul. Maybe, maybe you need help uh, getting past a failure that keeps haunting you. Uh, maybe like me, you recognize, uh, I, I recognize my my uh, tendency to be very short and impatient and curt. Uh, maybe what you need, like me, is a deeper capacity to be gracious and to be patient, to be compassionate. Or maybe it's helped to get past uh, despair and cynicism, the kind of things that can paralyze us, uh, and instead to be fueled with hope and the strength to work at what matters. Or maybe it's it's help at just understanding what matters. What do you want Jesus to do for you? Jesus keeps stopping. Jesus keeps asking because interruptions are his destiny. They open space. They open the promise of new life. Dorothy Day, uh, who uh, founded the Catholic Worker Movement, once wrote, all the way to heaven is heaven because Jesus said, I am the way. Jesus shows us the way. Jesus stops for us along the way. Jesus makes it possible for us to follow him on the way. All the way to heaven is heaven. Because Jesus, I am the way. Well, Luke goes on and tells a second story as Jesus is passing through Jericho on the way to Jerusalem. A man was there named Zacchaeus and if you uh, grew up going to Sunday school, Zacchaeus is a pretty famous character. You might be able to remember the song that I learned in Sunday school. You might even be able to remember the flannel graph figures they used to help tell that story. Zacchaeus, um, as you only pointed out earlier, was a chief tax collector. He was rich. Uh, and again, it's helpful to remember the the, the the social context there. At that time, Palestine. Okay, so that strip of land between the Jordan, sea, uh, the Jordan River and, and the Mediterranean Sea. Palestine, where pretty much all the stories in the gospels took place. Palestine was occupied by the Romans and the Romans funded their empire by collecting taxes from the people in client states in places like Palestine. So Zacchaeus is collecting taxes for the Romans, for the oppressors, for the enemies. Zacchaeus is collaborating with the oppressors to enrich himself at the expense of his neighbors. You can imagine what they thought of him. He and his ilk were despised and he knew it. You can just about imagine the the, the dialogue that went through his head every morning when he got up to go off to do his work as the chief tax collector, right? I mean, somebody has got to do it. If I don't do it, somebody else is going to do it. I mean, if I don't do it, you think the Romans are going to stop collecting taxes? I don't think so. Somebody's got to do it. Might as well be me. I mean, he's putting a roof over his family's head, right? He's putting food on the table of his family. He's not out by the road begging, is he? Somebody's got to do it. Well, most days, he could just about convince himself, but not every day. There were some days that he wanted something more. He was making a living. That's not the same thing as making a life. You know, Muhammad Ali, a great boxer, great champion, a remarkable human. Muhammad Ali once in his uh, inimitable style said, success is what you achieve. Significance is what you leave. Zacchaeus was successful. He was rich, but there were days he wondered about the significance of what he was leaving. And this was one of those days in the story that Luke tells us. Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was. Maybe you heard about Jesus. Maybe you heard that Jesus was a friend of tax collectors. The kids needed a friend. The the crowd clearly was not his friend. They were not letting him get through. He was short. He was infamously short. He couldn't see over them. So he ran ahead. He climbed a sycamore tree. And Jesus, passing through. Now note, Jesus, he did not stop in Jericho. He did not stop or was not interrupted by the feast that they had prepared for him. Jesus was passing through on his way to Jerusalem, he looks up, he sees Zacchaeus, and he stops again. And when he stopped, the crowd might have expected him to say something like, woe to you who are rich, because Jesus has already said that the rich people in Luke, in Luke chapter 6. they might have expected him to say, woe to you who are rich, you have oppressed your people, you have betrayed your God, repent. And Jesus has said that the crowd would have applauded. But instead, he says to Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. When Jesus said that, the crowd did not applaud. Luke tells us that the crowd began to grumble. Jesus had declined the hospitality of the perfectly respectable people of Jericho. The food on their table was now getting cold. And instead, he invites himself to the home of someone that everybody hated. Zacchaeus climbs down. And he is happy to welcome Jesus into his house. You might remember last week, I, uh, I quoted Barbara Brown Taylor, uh, as Andre did earlier. She's a terrific writer, uh, a very wise spiritual guide. Uh, I, I quoted Barbara Brown Taylor, who in her book, Leaving Church, and, and I think it was uh, Gloria Nussbaum who sent this quote to me a long time ago. So thank you, Gloria. Uh, Barbara Brown Taylor defines salvation as... Salvation happens every time someone with a key uses it to open a door that he could lock instead. Zacchaeus opens the door for Jesus. He opens the door of his house, but it's clear that he is also opening his heart, his mind, his family, his future to a new life, to a new way of living, because he says, half my possessions I will give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone, I will pay back four times as much. Zacchaeus gets what the other 12 disciples don't understand. He's sort of like that blind man along the road who can see what the disciples couldn't. Zacchaeus comprehends that Jesus means to work in and through and among us to repair what is wrong. And Zacchaeus, he knows what's wrong. And he knows how he can be part of the work of repairing it. Of repairing what's wrong half my possessions i'll get to the poor i've defrauded anyone i'll make it up i'll pay four times what's owed And when he says that jesus says in response today salvation has come to this house Zacchaeus opened a door that he could have locked instead Zacchaeus understands that jesus means to radically reshape our lives and to radically reshape our life together so that we reflect, so that we embody the love and the justice of God on earth uh, as in heaven. Zacchaeus, a rich man, recognizes that to repair what is wrong requires reparations. Now, here at PMC, we're at the start of a conversation about reparations, about what it means, what it means for us and our families, what it means for us as a congregation, what it could mean for this nation. And I hope you'll join us in that conversation. Right now, uh, some of us on Sunday mornings are reading the book, The Little Book of Racial uh, Healing. Next week, we're gonna talk about taking action, which includes um, uh, talking about reparations. We have a lot to learn to develop reparations as a, as a practice of our faith here at PMC. But like Zacchaeus, many of us are, are rich. And um, you know, many of us, I mean, we've studied hard, we've worked hard, we've saved even when that was hard, all of that's really good stuff. But it's also true that in this country, uh, it's true that this country was set up uh, to favor people like me, people like many of you who are white. And although much of that history happened before us, the genocide of Native Americans, the, 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 the enslavement of, of, of Africans, we still live with the inequities, with the disparities that it produced and that it continues to perpetuate. You know, right now for every $100 that the average white family holds, $100 of wealth, not not wages, but wealth. um, Guess how much the average African-American, the average black family holds. There's actually a a small study done, I think it was in 2019 or 2020, some social scientists asked people, for every $100 of wealth that an average white family owns, how much does the average black family own? And the the most common answer was 90%. In other words, for every white family that has $100, black families have $90. There's a $10 gap, 10% gap. In reality, it's just the opposite. For every $100 of wealth that that the average white family owns, the average black family has $10 of wealth. There's a 90% gap. And the thing that's even more um, discouraging, the more upsetting is that that racial wealth gap is about the same now in 2021 as it was in 1950. So a lot of progress made on racial justice in this country but the racial wealth gap is still pretty much the same as it was 70 years ago. Now as a white person, I can say, you know, I didn't cause that. I wasn't around back then. And sometimes we think of reparations as as punishing people today for what happened in the past. That's not really what it is. Reparations are a way to repair the inequality that all of us are living with now. And that benefits people like me still. Sometimes we think of reparations uh, as a transaction, right? One group of people giving money to another group of people, but that's really not quite right either because that doesn't repair what's wrong. Reparations can't just be a transaction. It has to be about a transformation, a transformation that happens in us, that happens in our families, that happens in our communities, that happens in the institutions and the structures uh, that undergird this country. This is the salvation that came to Zacchaeus's house. This is the unsettling, the healing, the redemptive, just gospel. This is what happens when we let Jesus interrupt our lives. The interruptions are the way that salvation happens. This last year has uh, felt like one giant interruption, um, and none of us would want to go through this again. But it has created space. It has created space for us to think about life in new ways, it's created space for a resurgent racial justice movement. Uh, And now we're getting through it. And I think all of us are ready to get going again. We're ready to get back to school, although I hear not every student might be all that thrilled about going back to school Uh, We're getting ready to go back to work right we're ready to get on toward whatever the future holds, but as we do keep your eyes and your ears and your heart and your mind open and attuned and ready for interruptions ready for Jesus. Uh, stopping to ask what do you want me to do for you ready for Jesus to invite himself into our lives and invite us call us uh, challenge us to join in the work of repairing the world the interruptions are the way of to, to the life together that Jesus makes possible all the way to heaven is heaven because Jesus said I am the way thanks be to God Amen.